to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Before I uh, begin today, uh, I want to say that because of uh, Pastor Miller's uh, friendship and confidence, I've had uh, a sense of how the Spirit's been working uh, in his life for a little while now, and though uh, we're certainly going to miss him in here and Andrea here at uh, St. Andrew, uh, I'm also very thankful for uh, his ministry among us and very happy and excited for them as Steve assumes primary pastoral responsibility in a place that is near and dear uh, to their hearts. I'm also thankful that because I am leaving the country on Tuesday uh, for a 10-day pilgrimage uh, on the footsteps of St. Paul that he'll still be here flying the plane during his uh, final weeks among us. And uh, finally, I want to say that if there is anything that is good for me in the fact that Steve is heading back to St. Louis, it's that I get to be the young pastor on the staff again. <laughs> Is that pathetic or what? <laughs> At least for a little while. Until then, uh, let me really begin uh, this message today by saying that the last week's passage from Mark chapter 9 uh, was a little tricky uh, to navigate, and this week's passage from Mark chapter 10 isn't any better. In fact, it may make us even a little bit more uncomfortable because if you were here last week, you know uh, that Jesus used some very tough language and some graphic images uh, to call his followers to cut out whatever gets in the way of living life as the children of God. In today's passage from Mark chapter 10, he zeroes in on one very specific thing that can and often does get in the way, and that is your money and the possessions and the pleasures that money can buy. And that can be a little awkward and more than a little uncomfortable uh, for us for a number of reasons, not the least of which is our tendency to think that, you know, what we do with our money isn't anybody else's business and uh, that it's our money because it's our money and it isn't theirs. Or you may be a little awkward or uncomfortable because you happen to have a lot of that money and you understand the temptation to use your affluence to exercise influence uh, in this world, or maybe you know that you can also be subject to the jealousies and the judgments of people about how you do or do not use your money, not to mention those who would like uh, you to part with your money and give it to them uh, for one purpose or another. Or maybe you feel a little bit awkward because you don't have uh, a lot of money, and you might feel a little inferior about that, or you might be in uh, the category of someone who pretends to have more money than you actually do have, uh, which I think is called credit. Or if you happen to be a pastor whose job it is to preach on this passage from Mark chapter 10, you might also be mindful of voices that have spoken in times gone by, sometimes justifiably, that all the church talks about is money. Well, the fact of the matter is uh, that your money and what you do with it, at least according to Jesus, is at the end of the day, actually, in fact, it is primarily, more than anything else, a spiritual issue. And that Jesus talks an awful lot about it in the Gospels, which you can check out for uh, yourselves. 
And that is why I also have said on dozens of occasions over the years that the story of your life is written in two books. One is your checkbook. The other is your calendar. Show me how you spend your time. Show me how you spend your money. And I'll tell you what's important to you, what the real priorities of your life are. And with that, the curtain rises on not one but two conversations that Jesus has in Mark chapter 10. The first one uh, with a rich man who wants to follow Jesus. He wants to be close to Jesus, so much so that he worships him. He kneels down, bows down before him and asks the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after a little conversation, Jesus says to him, well, sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then come on and follow me. At which point we find out that this man may want to be close to Jesus, but not enough to part with his possessions. At that point, uh, says Mark, Jesus starts to look around and he strikes up the second conversation with his disciples about the relationship between wealth and the kingdom of God. And he says to them, this is really hard. In fact, he says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven which sounds like it's one of his great hyperboles or purposeful exaggerations in order to make his point, except that it sounds like the point in this case is that a rich person can't get to heaven, period. And that sets up a problem. Because what it therefore means is that hell has to be populated with a lot of very saintly people like Abraham and Jacob and Joseph, and King David, and King Solomon, and many others in the Old Testament, not to mention still more in the New Testament, some of whom actually used their wealth to finance the ministry of Jesus and his apostles, which uh, included a number of women. Well, Well, what about them? Well, it turns out Uh, that a number of biblical scholars uh, dating all the way back to the 15th century have pointed out that ancient cities like the city of Jerusalem were walled cities that had large gates through which that city could be entered and that at night the main gates of those cities like Jerusalem would be closed as a security measure against invaders and thieves. And what that meant was that merchants or travelers or residents of the city uh, to enter into Jerusalem after dark, they had to pass through what were known as the night gates, which were much smaller gates. We are told that some of these night gates were actually so small that they were called the needle gates because it felt like you had to thread a needle just to pass through them. Now, the story goes that animals could sometimes pass through these needle gates, like a camel, except that what had to happen is that all the cargo that was being hauled on that camel's back first had to be removed. And then it would be made to bow down and kneel down so that it could be pulled on boards into the city. See what's going on here? 
for a camel to thread a needle, it had to lose its possessions. It had to bow down. And it had to rely on the power of someone else to carry it into the holy city. To which I say, huh, isn't that interesting? And is it possible that Jesus was using a very real life experience to tell you and me that you can't take it with you? It also turns out that some biblical translators, not biblical historians, but translators have pointed out uh, that except for one tiny letter in Greek, an iota, the Greek word for camel is the same as the Greek word for cable, which is a larger piece of thread or yarn or maybe even a rope. And they say that because some New Testament scribes miswrote that one tiny letter, what Jesus really meant to say in Mark 10, 25 is it's easier for a cable to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God, which still isn't very likely, but it's a little less plausible at the same time. Personally, I have a hard time threading a needle with a piece of thread. I don't know about you. I mean, you know, the light's not good. I wear trifocals. My glasses are dirty. Sometimes the individual strands separate. One goes in, one doesn't go in. You have to pull it out. You got to lick it, twist it around. I mean, you don't know what to do. And besides that, truth be known, there isn't any evidence of a scribe who turned a cable into a camel. Nor there is a, a whole lot of evidence for a gate that was known as the needle in the city of Jerusalem, as old as the story is, as great as it preaches. And given the fact that even to this day, some tour guides do show pilgrims to Jerusalem what these needle gates might have looked like. So that at the end of the day, we're left with what it actually says. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I mean, just look at this poor guy on your cover today. And I mean, this needle's not even to scale, in case you noticed. You know, so maybe you're sitting there saying, okay, you know, I, I get it. Uh, guilty as charged. Because as you may know, we live in the wealthiest country in the face of the earth. Also, out of the 3,144 counties in the United States of America, Montgomery County is the 17th wealthiest in the nation. With some counties around us even higher on the list. Or maybe you're thinking there, uh, sitting there thinking to yourself, wow, I'm obviously off the hook on this one. <laughs> because I'm not rich. In fact, I've got you know, financial struggles in my life. Well, whatever category you think you might be in, oh, what I want to say to you today is not so fast. Because there are some things going on in this passage uh, that I haven't talked about that are easy to miss. And one of them 
that I want you to notice is that Jesus never says that it's impossible for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's hard. And you say, well, doesn't the Bible say that money is the root of all evil? Actually, no, it does not say that. It says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not what you have. It's not how much you have. It's how you look at it. It's where you think it came from. It's whose you think it is in the first place, and it is what you end up doing with it. So that when I come to a point in my life where I start to get that everything I have comes from God, and everything that I have belongs to God, and I'm just a manager of the blessings of God in my life, that's when I start to look at everything a little bit differently. And I, I start to think to myself, whoa, that, maybe that's God's house I'm actually living in. And so maybe I ought to live in that house in ways that honor God. Maybe it's God's time that I have to spend. God's gifts that give me a, a ability. And maybe I ought to think about how I can use that to reflect the one who is the giver of all. Does that mean, you know, you can't throw a party or go on vacation or go over to Home Goods and buy some kind of picture for your dining room? No. It means that you belong to God and that you begin to see everything that way. And that is when you start to recalibrate, recal recalculate your priorities in your life to reflect the one whose child you are. This room in which you sit is a reflection of recalculated priorities and of the generosity of God through people who made some great sacrifices to provide this $13 million house of worship from which the poor are helped and the hungry are fed and hope is brought to the world that we live in, in places near and very, very far away. You know, this week, uh, this past week alone, two people from our, our congregation came to me and said that last Sunday morning when they arrived at church, they could not get a parking place. Not one was available last Sunday morning around 10 o'clock. And, you know, my first thought was, wow, that is a great problem for a church to have. Praise God. And it's not even Easter. <laughs> my second thought was, oh, man, we need another parking lot. <laughs> and it's going to cost a lot of money. You think it's worth it. To have somebody come here and to get what God has for them in the ministry of Jesus, forgiveness, hope, comfort, peace, direction. See, it's when I let my possessions distract me from my worship or get in the way of my service or interrupt my generosity. It's when it causes me to live for myself and not as a reflection of the one who is the giver of all. That's when it becomes hard. That's when it's a spiritual issue. 
The other thing that I want to uh, point out to you and have you notice is that when Jesus changes the conversation from the rich man over to the disciples, he applies the very same teaching to them, even though they weren't rich. And he says, children, all of you, this is your issue. That's actually when he talks about the camel threading the needle. And when the disciples realize, you know, whoa, we're not off the hook in this at all, that's when they ask Jesus, well, who in the world can ever be saved? And Jesus says, that's it. That is where he finally uses the word impossible. You can't do it. You can't save yourself. Only he can take away the sins that weigh you down and keep you from him. Only his grace is able to thread the needle. Only his power will bring you and carry you into the holy city someday. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't pray your way to heaven. You can't give your way to heaven. And that is because love, God's love, is the currency of eternal life. And sisters and brothers, you've got the power to mint it in your life with what you have and spend it all day long for your real joy and for the greater glory of God and the hope of this broken world. Just make sure you keep your eye on that wealth, that prize. The treasure that cannot be stolen. The investment that will never lose its value. The only thing that you really can take with you all the way to glory. Rich, poor, anywhere in between. It's not possible for us. But thanks be to God that he threads the needle so we can live for him and cut out whatever gets in the way until by his power, he carries us into the holy city. God bless you this week. We'll see you when we get back. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.